Let's hear from CBS business analyst Jill Schlesinger, who uh, watched the Super Bowl last night. And her takeaway uh, really had nothing to do <laughs> to do with the game. It was about, of course, the power couple who've been dominating the spotlight, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, and some possible considerations for them, financial considerations, if they ever decide to tie the knot. Well, I think they're absolutely going to be thinking about a prenuptial agreement, right? And a prenuptial agreement, it's a legal document. It sets forth how you divide your money up and your property up if you get divorced or if one of you dies. And the thing is, this is obviously a no-brainer when you have a billionaire marrying a millionaire. No biggie, right? Mm -hmm. What about other people? Do you know anyone who has a prenup? I know a couple of people. It's it's, it's a little bit of a rocky thing to have that conversation. but I I would think so. Yeah. Now, one, I think if you're it's your second marriage, I think it's different. I think a lot of people who are come through a divorce uh, or maybe even uh, their adult children or younger children, like you have. Oh, listen, it's my second marriage. We have to have this. Okay, but maybe also there are some people if you own like a small business or maybe you and your brother and your sister own a huge piece of property that is, um, you know, a a family piece of property and you want to exclude that as an asset of your current relationship. That's something where it can be really helpful, actually. So, you know, it's not just for rich people. Usually it's for, I would say, complicated circumstances. That's when you usually get into it. There's also, um, there are two other things to consider. Something called a post-nup. After you've been married, if something happened, like um, I know of a case where a couple uh, found out later, you know, five years after they got married, the parent died and there was this huge trust that was disclosed at that moment. And they said that the wife's like, you know what, that's your family money. I don't need that money. Like, just so everyone doesn't even think that I care about that. Let's let's make a, some sort of agreement. That's yours. If anything happens to us, done. Perhaps the most important one, though, is the one when there is not an actual marriage, a no nup, no nuptials. If you are in a long-term relationship, you might think it's easy, no problem. If we break up, we're not married. Isn't it easier? No, it's actually harder because there's no legal structure to dissolve. So I think you absolutely need agreements that are down on paper through a matrimonial attorney. The other thing is, uh, like a like a lot of other young people, they've, they've waited a little longer to get married. And so now they have to decide if they're going to have a joint checking account or not, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, this probably seems like crazy to you because you were five years old when you guys got married. That's right. And uh, and I met I met you and your wife, and you seem very happy and stable. But, you know, if you come <laughs> to a relationship, let's say, you know, you're the Travis and Taylor couple, 34 years old. You've been 15 years. You've been on your own doing your thing. And so I think there's no right answer. There are a lot of people who will ask me. I just had a young producer at CBS contact me and he goes, listen, I'm getting married. Uh, My wife's in medical school. She's got a lot of medical school debt that's going to come in. What do I do? And, uh, you know, I said, look, you just have to have conversations. And if you feel comfortable keeping your finances separate, that's fine. If you feel like you want to push it together, that's fine. But have an active conversation about it. And usually what happens is one person tends to be the manager of the day-to-day bill paying. And, you know, you could have the same person or the other person maybe does investments. Whatever the system is you have, talk about it with each other. Know what the system is because not so much for divorce, but gosh, you know, it's really about if something bad were to happen, maybe from an estate planning standpoint and someone suddenly passes away, 
if the surviving spouse does not understand the bill paying system, does not understand how this person's been managing money, whether there's an investment advisor involved, all these things should be discussed. We don't have to make it so mysterious. I know it's a really we're crazy about money. Everyone is. Just own it. It's okay. And and talk about that. We're hearing from CBS's Jill Schlesinger. And of course, the next question is, what are the tax implications when two immensely wealthy people decide to get married? There's different ways to file taxes, you know. And mm-hmm. so it may be in the case of a billionaire versus a millionaire where you say, we're both in the highest tax bracket. We're not going to file jointly. We're going to file separately. You can be married filing separately. Sometimes that works. If that's something that is you're even contemplating, you should talk to a tax professional about that because, you know, honestly, it, it usually does not make sense. But in some rare cases, filing separately can work. Yeah. This is more, this is not going to be so much a marriage as a merger of two major corporations, really. Well, that's right. Isn't that interesting to think of it that way? But also, you know, when you do think about marriage, I think that the regular run-of-the-mill couple does not think, oh, well, now I actually have protections because there's a legal structure in place. They think, oh, you know, I love you. And by the way, all those things are really important, but, you know, things do change and people do get weird about money. And uh, I would just always feel like one of those compatibility questions is, you know, are you able to talk about these concepts that are hard? If you can't, well, let's move on. Mm -hmm. Got someone else to find. If they called you for financial advice, which stocks would you advise them to invest in? I would say go get yourselves a great financial advisor. You don't even need it. She's got her own. She's basically creating her own annuity. It's called a tour and a yeah, career. That's right. But um, they they are awfully cute together. Did you like are. the ads? What what ads did you like? The ad I liked the best yes. was the Discover Card ad yeah. because they were advertising the fact that if you call them, you get a human being. They were, that was the funniest ad I thought. And they're like, in the United States. Like, that's right. <laughs> that was the other part of it. I liked the E-Trade ad. I don't, it's a very throwback ad because anyone who's like under 40 does not know that that was the ad that we saw in the late 90s yeah. and the internet boom was the babies. But the fact that they were playing pickleball made me laugh out loud. <laughs> CBS business analyst Jill Schlesinger. Thank you, Jill. Take care. But I tell you, if they do get married, talk about suddenly being pushed into the highest possible tax bracket. Yikes. Yeah. Morning News, Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. It so happens that February is National Heart Month because Valentine's Day occurs in February. What could be more relatable? And who better to celebrate it with than a cardiac surgeon? So let's page the doctor. Paging Dr. Cohen. Dr. Gordon Cohen, MD. And it so happens that for uh, American Heart Month this year, there are a number of new developments which could make diagnosing and following up on, on heart disease a lot easier. Yep, Dave, it's true. I mean, thank you for pointing out that February is American Heart Month and the American Heart Association designated it, likely because it was related to Valentine's Day. But the whole purpose of it is to serve as a reminder for people to actually focus on their heart health. So let's start with some of the basic stuff like EKG monitoring. So, you know, it used to be if you needed an EKG, you would go to your doctor and they'd put a bunch of wires on you and they'd do a printout. And and, in fact, the fact of the matter is that is still the right way to do it because we can look at the heart from 12 different 
electrical angles. However, you know, now you see this commercial on TV where people can, you know, buy this card and put their two fingers on it and it gives a tracing of your heart heartbeat. Or you can have a smartwatch where it will record your, your, your heartbeat. It's really just a snapshot in time. Frankly, when you go to the, the doctor's office and they do a 12-lead EKG, that's also just a snapshot in time. But if we have a patient that has is it's problematic, we will actually attach sensors to their skin with batteries that will last a long time so that uh, we can monitor what's going on for a number of days. And as battery technology improves, so will the ability to have these sort of wearable EKG design devices where it can actually track what you're doing and it can actually download this into your smartphone or into your computer or send it to your doctor's office or whatever. And it can tell you more than just what that snapshot in time is because it's recorded over a prolonged period of time. In addition, with the with the advancements in artificial intelligence, it'll actually allow the information to be analyzed and tells you if there's something wrong and if so, what to do about it. That's great because how many of us have felt funny and then by the time you get to the doctor, you're you're reduced to simply trying to describe what it was like because it's not, it never happens when he puts the stethoscope against your chest. Yeah, Dave, that's exactly what happens. And that's the problem with, you know, you come in with, a, with, with some complaints. You had maybe chest pain, but by the time you get there, it's gone. They do a 12-lead EKG, which again is just a snapshot in that moment. You're not having pain and it doesn't show anything. Now, another area of improvement are test strips. Test strips are really nothing new. You know, people who are diabetic are used to using them for, uh, you know, testing their blood sugar. But these are test strips that won't just measure something as simple as blood glucose, but uh, strips that will measure your blood serum, uh, which can measure all different markers of heart failure. So there's a lot of different tests that we do in the hospital or in a doctor's office. But imagine having a test strip in the near future where it could yield results in half an hour or less. Okay, tell us about this dissolvable implant that can essentially you, I guess, swallow them or implant them and they send back telemetry and then you just sort of uh, digest them yourself and they go away? Right. So, for example, a sensor is like something in your oven that tells you the temperature, how hot it is, right? That's Those were the old school sensors. But, but now they're starting to develop uh, uh, sensors that can be implanted. For example, if you have a pacemaker, that's actually a type of sensor. But imagine having a biodegradable uh, organic compound that acts as a sensor that could measure a whole bunch of different things going on in your body. And those could actually transmit information as well. And this is, it extends into the area of having stents that are considered to be smart stents. And what is a stent? Well, you know, about 25, 30 years ago, they developed stents, which are like little chain link, link fences that are collapsed onto a balloon and they can be placed through a blood vessel and up inside your heart, inside the coronary artery. And then you blow up the balloon inside the, the narrowing and that chain link fence expands and holds the narrowing open and it doesn't require you to have heart surgery. Well, that was considered a big advancement. But now imagine this, that they're actually going to be able to uh, to include electronic technology along with it that will be able to actually measure blood flow through the stent. So if the blood flow starts to narrow at some point, you'll actually 
get information about that and that way you don't have to worry about the stents closing off when it's least expected but rather you're getting real-time information that, that your doctor can then act upon and if they need to go in and re-balloon the stent or put a new stent in or something like that they'll be able to because they know that a problem is evolving pretty soon i could just took myself up to the cell phone you could diagnose me from wherever you were but that, that, that's actually the case. <laughs> or maybe you come in uh, to an emergency room because you've got chest pain and they do a blood test for this biomarker and they find out you don't have coronary artery disease and, uh, and, you, and they say, well, maybe you just have you know, reflux or something like that. The, the point is it can help guide the diagnosis and treatment of a condition. I love it. Going to the doctor and getting a clear diagnosis on your first visit. Dr. Gordon Cohen, MD. Thanks, Dr. Cohen. Thanks, Dave. Right now, it's time for Crime and Punishment. Our weekly check-in with Casey McNurthy from the King County Prosecutor's Office. And this week, he brought us a report which compiles all of the shots fired throughout King County in 2023. And this is a relatively new bit of data they've decided to collect. Well, before 2017, there wasn't a report like this done. And, and so what the, King, what the King County Prosecutor's Office did was work with the, the 39 different law enforcement agencies in King County to say, let us get your data. And then we'll put together a report, not only of all the people who were hit and killed, but the people who were, who were shot and survived, and also the, the number of shootings that are reported. Mm-hmm. And the idea with this is not only to give it to law enforcement, but also to give it to community and the public to say, hey, here are the trends that we're seeing. And what's interesting about that is is when you compare the different jurisdictions, you, you see a lot of data that wasn't being compiled before. Rafael Serrano is the guy from our Crime Strategies Unit, uh, what used to be called the Crime Strategies Unit. Now it's the Gun Violence Prevention Unit, uh, who looks through every single report of a shooting in King County. And, and there's a lot of them. The bad news is we haven't been higher. This is the first year that fatal shootings topped 100 in King County. There were 107 in 2023 compared to 83 in 2022. Non-fatal shootings, there were 369 last year, up from 357. So not not a, a major increase, but still that number is pretty high. Yeah. Um, and then the overall report of shots fired, including the ones where people weren't hit, was just over 1,700. Uh, so it's, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of shootings, there's a lot of guns, and there's a lot of people using them. About half of those, fifty-one percent, were outside Seattle. I asked Rafa what what trends he's seen, and here's what he had to say. So we're seeing a lot more manufactured components. We're seeing auto sears that are turning a regular handgun into a into essentially an automatic a weapon. I think that that you know contributes to this massive increase in the number of cases that people are seeing. I think there were at least six incidents last year where we saw 70 plus, 70 to 100 casings collected at a scene, which is a lot. And that's concerning. And I think we're fortunate that we didn't see more unintended victims or more uh, collateral damage than 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 we're seeing. We've had conversations with our federal partners. We've had conversations with our law enforcement, but they are definitely increasing. Even if we look at not necessarily even just the guns that are seized, but the guns that we're seeing posted online, a lot of them, you can see the modifications on them now. So if you if you pick up somebody who, let's say, just fired off a bunch of shots in the neighborhood and didn't actually hit anybody, what do you do with somebody like that? Very often, that's an unlawful gun possession charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you shot at a person, uh, that can be an assault charge, even if you don't hit somebody. 
Hmm. Okay, so you get in trouble for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, and this is important to note too that that regardless of your age, if you use a gun, that's a case that goes through traditional prosecution before a judge. You know, you don't see diversion programs for, for shootings, and I think most people would agree with that. We're hearing from Casey McNerthney from the King County Prosecutor's Office, and I want to get some explanation as to why there has been such an uptick in shots fired this past year in King County. Here's what he had to say about that. It, it, it's hard to say. Uh, it, and there probably isn't one definitive answer. I think it's a lot of things. I think it, it's the ease in, in which you could modify it. Uh, part of it, you know, on a different note, we see the increase in Kias and Hondas being stolen, you know, in a similar way, but not, you know, as easily. There are, are ways online that you can make ghost guns. You can modify these handguns to make them, you know, to make them automatic weapons that are that are big concerns. That's just one factor. Uh, here's what Rafa had to say about it. The uptick was across the board. Almost every every area saw an increase in shots fired, and that is not necessarily a case of better reporting. It's just it's, there's a clear pattern that, that it's that it's increased. I don't know if we're at a place yet that we can definitively say what the exact cause is. Anecdotally, it's starting to trend back towards the young. I think for a period of time during the pandemic, last year and the year prior, we were still seeing a larger percentage of folks that were 28 plus both victim and suspect, now is starting to trend back younger again. And I don't know what the exact cause is. I'm sure there's a number of factors that people can point to. And what can you tell us about the, the victims of these incidents? The short answer is these shootings disproportionately hurt people of color more. Nearly 80% of the shooting victims are people of color. So when you see this increase in gun violence, people of color are are disproportionately hurt. What you also see too is is how it follows e- economic lines. So in in areas with lower median income you see higher numbers of, of shootings. In areas uh that you would expect like Mercer Island or Medina or parts of Magnolia, you, you didn't see shootings in, in all of twenty three. Okay. So for people in communities which are experiencing the brunt of this, how can how can they help the police? I think the biggest thing that they would say is well, really two things. One is is when you see something reported, there are a surprising number of cases that don't get called into police or shots fired that don't always get, get tips or people that, uh, that help officers. And that's important. That's a big step. And also, and also lock up your guns. Uh, very often we see these shootings happen with uh, guns that have been stolen uh, that are illegally possessed. And, and so if, if you have weapons like that, Taking the responsible step to secure them is a big help uh, for you with a lower likelihood of, of a, a tragedy in the house, but also that someone else will, uh, won't get hurt. And on the issue of um, shootings being younger and, and younger, as, as we've seen over a few years, um, prosecutors in our juvenile division worked out um, a, a new system called Jaywatch. And, and what this is, is a weekly call. It's similar to remember in college when professors or uh, teachers had office hours where you could ask any question that you wanted. It's kind of like that. That's the whole idea. There's communication with law enforcement every day um, in emails and over calls. But the idea here is at least once a week to have an open phone line with officers if they have questions about warrants or how to build up cases or the changes in state laws around juvenile crime. Here's uh, Jamie Kivistad from our juvenile division talking about it. Uh, We are open to really anything. So we want to focus on case development. So we want to assist with warrants. We want to assist with legal issues. We want to talk about um, where a case is in terms of evidence, what may further be needed. 
Uh, we want to work with different detectives if we have a juvenile who's committed multiple crimes in different areas um, and all of the cases are linked together. So we are really open. We want to meet our, our law enforcement partners, you know, wherever they need us. We even talked about maybe having trainings, short trainings available in this time frame um, on some of the kind of hot button topics that people are questioning us about. So far, I would say we've had a really good response. And so that's encouraging. And that's going to continue. What we're going to do, too, is is track the number of cases that come out of that. And not only so we can share it with law enforcement, but share it with community partners to say, hey, here's, here's what we're seeing so we can work on it collaboratively. Casey McNurthney from the King County Prosecutor's Office. Thank you, Casey. Thanks a lot, Dave. Good to see you. So lost. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. The chance of scoring a Super Bowl ticket is a once in a lifetime opportunity for some fans. And CBS's Nora O'Donnell shares the story of one of them. Terrence Thornton was psyched when he learned the Super Bowl would take place here in Las Vegas. Being a Vegas native, the fact that we're hosting this in my home city is amazing and couldn't be more honored to have that happen here. He's a big fan of sports and the benefits of sports. Thornton is the head of the Special Olympics Nevada, which gives 20,000 kids and adults with intellectual disabilities a chance to compete. What's the most fulfilling part of it? Is to be able to help people understand the abilities that people with disabilities have. I think so many times people focus on those three letters, the dis, um, and discount the abilities. Thornton thought he'd be watching the Super Bowl at home with friends. But that all changed when we met him along with Baltimore Ravens wide receiver Nelson Aguilar. You're going to the Super Bowl! Isn't that amazing? Oh, my God. Thank you so much. <laughs> For seven years, the NFL and Super Bowl host committee have been giving away tickets to community leaders. They enlist celebrities to help, like country music superstar Luke Bryan. Two tickets. No. Two. Oh, my God. The Super Bowl. And magician David Blaine and former NFL running back Stephen Jackson. Thornton says he knew some of the Special Olympic athletes would get to attend, but never expected he'd get to go too. You're being recognized for your generosity and your leadership. What's your message to others? I think so many times we look at the differences between one human to the next versus looking at what really ties us together. Everybody wants to be respected. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be heard. And I think if we could just all take a beat and do that for each other, the world would be a better place. Agreed. We have much more in common than most people think. A win and a message for everyone. And now, joining us from the Junior's the Show, it starts at 9. Here's G. Scott. What's happening? Good you morning, You want to talk about everybody. the Super Bowl or Beyonce? Which Yo, is God, oh, man. <laughs> oh, okay, wait. <laughs> Look, y'all, listen. Beyonce has two new country singles right now, and I've been jamming them all morning. I don't know if there's any country uh, music uh, listeners around here sure. that love country. Yeah. She has one called Texas Hold'em mm. and another one called 16 Carriages. She can do everything. She Oh my goodness, I love Her Beyonce. commercial was fun, too. I'm surprised she attached herself to a, a cellular company. Was it Verizon, Verizon? or T-Mobile? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. But I was like, Beyonce's got to do... No, be, no, no, no. Basically, Verizon was in a Beyonce commercial. Okay. You okay. know what I mean? Okay. Come on. It just confused. I, just, I didn't expect her to be in a commercial, right. so it confused me. So, first of all, good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. I want to get right to it. I figure something out, something that I think that we can all agree on. 
I believe that yesterday, as far as commercials for the Super Bowl, was either one of two things. A, it was the worst set of commercials for a Super Bowl we've ever seen. It was not great. Or B, we have all changed when it comes to what we expect from commercials. And we are commercialed out. Because mm. the only real commercial that stands out to us is probably the one with Ben Affleck and Tom Brady mm-hmm. and the whole Dunk King's name, Matt Damon. Oh, that's J-Lo. who those guys were. You know, Jack Harlow. What? You didn't know I those. Could, here's the thing. I, uh, I just don't recognize a lot of stars. My wife knows them all. Okay. So, but with that commercial, I said, are those three guys somebody? And then she explained it to me. And then I said, oh, it's a great commercial. How do you know, know Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? I, They're a- I, I think the last film of theirs I saw was what, Pearl Harbor. How, how long ago was that? You sure it wasn't I, Goodwill Hunting? I, I just, I just, <laughs> can I, but I want to, um, I want to explain to all of our folks that are listening right now, and I don't know where you are, but I want to bring you inside of the studio and have you understand what just happened. Now, Dave Ross just said, hey, I didn't really know who they were. I asked my wife if those three were someone. Here's the best part of this show. Colleen looks at Dave Ross as if, hey, this is my granddad. And, and, then, and, then, Sully, and then Sully with his looks is just, you know, he's over there just like, mm, and like, this is my uncle over here. I'm just like, Well, that's because I didn't recognize several of them either. Oh, you didn't? No. No. I mean, I, I recognized, you know, the, the two guys, but that was it. We're 50-50 in the studio. Two yeah. of us know who The best commercial are, was Arnold Schwarzenegger by, by a landslide. That was yeah. the only one I found I funny. I don't remember that one. I don't remember a lot of I the Super Bowl commercials because I thought they were boring, they, by yeah. and large. Most they of were them were pretty boring. bad. A lot of them were really, like, sentimental and, and kind of a downer. They were! <laughs> I got made fun of because I, during one commercial, I was like, boo, this is so boring. And they're like, "How they're trying to share an important message, Colleen. I said, no, the Super Bowl is so, for entertainment. So which one is it? Is it the boring Super Bowl, Bowl the boring, commercials boring. or is it us? I think it's the commercials. Okay. I think they can do better. Yeah, I think they weren't good. All right, let's go. They need to be shorter. Let's go fast forward to halftime mm-hmm. show. Yep. Usher was it's out right. there. Eh. It's all right. It's eh. cool. I, yeah, it's all right. Alicia Keys was the most exciting part for <gasps> me. And the way he <gasps> grabbed her, though. <gasps> I was thinking I was Justin like, Timberlake. <laughs> I was going, where's the wardrobe malfunction? <laughs> he took his shirt off. Well, well he him did, it's okay. Sure. It's not, apparently, it's not okay. It, for we've the, seen it all. We've seen yeah. Usher's shirtless yeah, I, a lot. I, 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 thought the, uh, I, I thought the halftime show was better than I thought it would be because I thought the expectations were going were, were gonna to be so high for Usher considering that he's been a very hot name. Yeah. I thought it was good. I thought he brought in a lot of his folks. He represented Atlanta very well. Um <clears throat> Make sure I don't want to know. I don't know how to say this because I know there might be kids in the car. But he, when I say he explained and, and, and represented Atlanta very well, he had the marching band out mm-hmm. there. He brought uh, Jermaine Dupri out there. He brought Ludacris out there. He had stripper poles out there, and he was just like <laughs> <laughs> no, dancing he, no, poles. Da- da- my bad. Yeah. Dancing poles. Sure. Thank you. Goalposts. Yeah. Yeah. Goalposts. Goalposts. Yeah. That's what they. Were. My bad. Yeah. That would be kind of cool though to see that on a goalpost. <laughs> don't don't joke. About that, it'll happen. Hey, why not? It's the Super Bowl. But, but, but Dave, did you yeah. see the dancing poles? Yeah. Did you know they were dancing poles? Yes, I did. <laughs> also, you see the one woman fall off the dancing pole no, when that Ludacris came out. Uh-oh. Yeah, she zip, no. went right down. Oh, yeah. I gotta look that up. Yeah, just zip. 
right as he came out over his right shoulder, zip down to the ground. That was quite eagle-eyed of you to see that, Sully. But trust me, I saw it all over X this morning. I didn't see it in real time. Dave, I was busy you, trying to get my moonwalk walking again. Did you have, did you, yeah. Dave, when you saw it, did you do this? I don't know what that means. He doesn't know what that means. I don't think I want to know what that means. Don't teach it's Dave. Fast clapping, Dave. It's fast clapping, Dave. Is that what it is? It's just, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Are we on camera now? No, we're out of here. Okay, good. 8.35, Seattle's Morning News. Let's talk about buying a car. The nation's auto dealers have gotten the Federal Trade Commission to slow down on its new rule, which was intended to protect car buyers from unfair and deceptive practices. It's nicknamed the Cars Rule, and it was supposed to take effect in July, but now appears to be on hold. Let's go to consumer man Herb Weisbaum, contributing editor at Checkbook.org, who can tell us what the new rule would do. Uh, This looks pretty straightforward. It's it's basically just uh, truth and advertising, right? Yeah, and uh, the Federal Trade Commission says it actually just codifies everything that's illegal anyway. The rule, CARS rule, stands for Combating Auto Retail Scams. It was going to take effect in July, and the FTC has actually slammed the brakes on this thing right now while the car dealers are going to court to get it stopped. It would target bait-and-switch sales tactics, Dave, that lure buyers to dealerships and would ban hidden junk fees that are often buried in lengthy contracts. You know, the car buying process is complicated, and no matter how well-prepared you are when you head to the showroom the dealer always has the upper hand the process is really unfair when a shady dealer lies about its prices to get you to the showroom it might quote a price for a specific vehicle but when you get to the dealership the car is gone the sales staff is no longer willing to honor its commitment instead oh there's another vehicle over here which would just uh, be perfect but just happens to cost more that's the old bait and switch Mm -hmm. tactic and according to the ftc it continues to happen you just walk though and that happens right some people do, but uh, some people, you know, it's emotional purchase. It's not like a typical purchase, and you're there, and you wanted that vehicle, and maybe you just stick around. Now, what and other... If you walk, that's not fair to get you there. You shouldn't be played with to get you there, even if you do walk. That's still a deceptive practice. One of the rules is that, uh, that under this proposed rule, is that you have to clearly disclose the offering price, the actual price any consumer can pay to get the car, excluding only retired government charges. Don't most dealers do that when they when they, when they put a, a price on the car, or are they still messing around with that? Well, a lot of people now are trying to shop, and it's a smart thing to do on the Internet. And what they're finding is that when you if you write a car deal and say, give me your best price, and that should be the best price. It shouldn't be, you, or if you call on the phone, they give you a price quote. It shouldn't be that you get to the dealership, and then, oh, we forgot to tell you this, we forgot to tell you that. So that's that's something that they're trying to crack down on. Um, the biggest one they're trying to work on uh, is bogus add-ons. And in, in researching this, I asked them, can you give me some examples of add-ons that are put on there that people don't need? So they're talking about add-ons that don't provide any benefit to the buyer. And they give these real-life examples. Warranty programs that duplicate a manufacturer's warranty. You know, that's where they make a lot of money in selling you these extra warranties. Uh, Service contracts for oil changes on electric vehicles that don't use oil. There's one (laughs) that's an unnecessary chart. Nitrogen-filled tires that contain no more nitrogen than normal air. Software audio subscriptions on vehicles that cannot support those subscriptions. So those are the kind of things you get tucked into the contract that when you're all done those many-hour process, if you don't look at that contract, you may find that they're in there and you wind up paying for them and you didn't know about it. I find that when you encounter things like this, you go, well, who do I talk to? You don't call the police about this. So where can people go if they feel like they're being tricked? 
He should contact the Federal Trade Commission, and he should also contact uh, our state attorney general's office. They've brought over the years many actions against car dealers who have done unfair, deceptive practices. I think that's really important. Uh, I want to make sure I point out that the uh, the Auto Dealers Association, the NADA, and the Texas Automobile Dealers Association uh, say that the reason why they want this rule blocked is because they call it arbitrary, capricious, and abusive discretion. They call it ill-conceived, unnecessary, redundant, and confusing. The mm. FTC says if it were to take effect, it would save car buyers $3.4 billion a year. And I want to just play with you, uh, play for you a little audio interview I did with Dan Dwyer. He's a staff attorney at the FTC's Division on Financial Practices. He worked on the car rule, and he said it was designed to protect consumers and honest car dealers. Listen. So the rule doesn't require any new paperwork. And actually, because it focuses on conduct that's already illegal, honest dealers who are disclosing this kind of information and who aren't trying to misrepresent their way into a deal, they shouldn't have to overhaul their practices. And also, honest dealers can't compete fairly when unscrupulous dealers lure consumers away with bogus prices. You know, bottom line is that the rule will save people time and money and protect honest dealers. So could dealers just post a sign in the window saying, by the way, whether it's uh, uh, an official FTC rule or not, we we comply with the FTC's CARS rule? Uh, sure, they could also give you a free uh, free dinner at uh, Salty's every time you show up. <laughs> I mean, this is something that shouldn't happen anyway. Yeah. You know, you, you should be treated fairly when you walk in. As I said, by the way, this is a really complicated process. And on Checkbook.org, we have a step-by-step thing of even before you show up at the dealership, how you can go through this process and, and get the best deal possible. And we, by the way, like, we did a great deal of research, and we like Costco's auto buying program. Really? Uh, Checkbook's editors call it well-conceived, well-managed. If you don't think you can negotiate a good deal, this is the way to get a really good price on a new vehicle uh, if you don't want to collect the bids on your own. So consider that Costco auto buying program. All right. Good tip. Herb Weisbaum, the consumer man, checkbook.org. Thank you, Herb. Drive safely. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to the show's podcast. We're happy you're here. And you can keep up with the show and find some of the stories from today online at MyNorthwest.com.